Now, in regards 1 Peter, I don't know if you've noticed this, and I haven't done this deliberately. This has just been something that God has challenged me with. I haven't been doing like your three-point sermons or your or alliteration or anything like that. That hasn't been deliberate. Like I still haven't reached the level of Pastor John when it comes to like the acronyms and stuff, which is absolutely amazing. I haven't done anything like that. But there have been main themes that I've wanted us to look at as we've as we've looked at the Word of God together, whether it be the fatherhood of God, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, since we call on a father and that we can call on him as father. Last week, we looked at about tasting the Lord's goodness and and just how good the Lord is. And I think that is a a wonderful thing to look at. Then we've looked at tasting of God's goodness. And, And today, I want us to look at something which I've been as I've been reading through this with Kenny, actually, Kenny and I have been reading through 1 Peter together, and as I've been reading, God has been really encouraging my heart, as, as John shared, as, as we rediscover our connection with the Lord, as we, as we re-enthuse in our, in our relationship with Him and, and spend time with Him and the things God has been blessing me with, I pray will be a blessing to you as well. And so as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read from verses 7 to 10, and then I'm going to share a few things as well. We're going to start in verse 7, and I'm reading from the New King James. It says this, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, who, were, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now, in verses 4 to 10, three times the preciousness of Christ is mentioned or is referred to. For example, firstly, in verse 4, it's about Christ being precious in God's sight. That as God's only begotten Son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that is, without spot or blemish, is chosen and precious. In God's sight. So in God's sight, Christ, the preciousness that he holds by God the Father. Wonderful. Exciting. In verse 6, it's mentioned a second time, the preciousness that he has as the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone upon which a building is grounded and begun, something firm and built upon, rejected of men, yes, but of God, elect, firm, everlasting, 
upon which the spiritual house, the church of Jesus Christ, is built. So he's precious in God's sight. He's precious because of his vital foundational role in the church as the head of the church, as the cornerstone of the church. And in verse 7, it's the third time that is mentioned, and this reference to his preciousness is a comparison, a comparison to those who believe and to those who are disobedient. You have the preciousness of Christ and in comparison to the, sorry, the preciousness of Christ as reflected by those who believe in him and then to those who aren't. Now, of these three references to the preciousness of Christ, it is the third one I want us to look at today. I want to share with you what I've called the precious person of Christ and what he does in us and with us according to his will. So, I'm going to open in a word of prayer. And then let's look at the Word of God together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can look into your Word now. And we pray and ask that by your Spirit, you will reveal the greatness, the majesty, the preciousness that you hold to all of us. And that we can be in awe of you and stand and worship. So we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one thing I just want to make an announcement, also for people at home. If you get the chance to come to church and fellowship, come. I mean, there's nothing that beats praising God together. There's nothing that beats singing and sharing a room full of people who are worshiping God together. And, and uh, no disrespect, technology is a wonderful thing. Sorry, I'm just talking to the camera at the moment. Technology is a wonderful thing, but nothing beats fellowship with the saints. Nothing beats that. And don't come because of the food, as good as they are, but come and be amongst the saints. Be amongst the family of God. Not because I say, but because God says. All right? Hebrews 10, 28, because God says, don't forsake this. Don't forsake this. We had this taken away from us for two years. Now we have the chance to have it back. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. So please, come join us. And, and I'm not telling you off, but come join us. Eh? We would love to have you here. All right, now back to the Word. Let's get into this. In explaining the position and the provision, the, the person and the authoritative power of Jesus Christ, that what he holds as the cornerstone of the church, Peter moves into this comparison in verse 7. So we have in verse 7, therefore, to you who believe. So he's talking to believers. It's an outright statement for the audience that he's writing to, writing to. To you believers who have come to Jesus, to you who understand the one rejected of men but chosen by God and according to God, precious. To you who believe in Jesus who died for your sins according to the Scriptures who was buried and raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures and is now seated at the right hand of the Father ever to make intercession for us. 
If you have come to him, for you who believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to clarify something here. It is important for us as people in any relationship for it to be genuine to know the person that you are in the relationship with. Whether it be me getting to know Ray. Hey, Ray. Whether it be me sitting down and talking with Simon or, or me hanging out with Auntie Judy, it, takes, it makes a point of me getting to know you as an individual. Peter makes a reference here. He says, he says, now to you who believe in Jesus Christ, to you who believe, he says this, because there's a comma. He goes, to you who believe, and he says this description, he is precious. To you who believe, Jesus Christ is precious. To you who believe, who've been born again of the Spirit, who know Jesus Christ as God and as Savior, to you who is the one that secured your salvation for all eternity, to you who believe, He is Jesus Christ. He is precious. There is no forgiveness of sin without Jesus. There is no redemption from enslavement without Jesus. There is no justification by faith without Jesus. There is no eternal life. There is no restoration of brokenness. There is no new creation in your own life without Jesus. So yes, so yes, to those who believe, Jesus is precious because he is the reason why I am accepted by God as his child. He is the reason why I can have access to the Father and into the throne room of grace and ask for help in time of need. He is the one in whose merits I receive life and life in its abundance. To you who believe, he is precious. Think about someone precious in your life. Think about those whom you care for and that you value and that you cherish and that you protect. And now think on this. Jesus Christ magnifies that exponentially. I shared this several weeks ago. As much as I love my wife, my wife did not die for my sin. As much as I love my children, my children did not sacrifice themselves to make me right with God. That is what my Jesus done for me. That's what my Jesus done for you. So yeah, yeah, at the very least, he is precious to be cherished, to be held onto, to be protected. In comparison, what do we read? We read about the disobedient. Now, in the Greek, the word disobedient is apitheo. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, that word? Apitheo. And apparently, okay, what English word do we get from apitheo? Apathy. We get the word apathy. What's apathy mean? What's apathy? In colloquial terms today, apathy means meh. That's what apathy means. Meh, neither here nor there. This word apatheo means the choosing not to believe. It's the willing denial. It is the path taken by those who are disobedient because they refuse to acknowledge not only the word of God, but the God of the word. 
Now, I want you to bear in mind something. Just because somebody denies, willingly denies, just because somebody willingly wants to disobey or choose not to hold onto the preciousness that Christ has does nothing to take away from the preciousness Christ holds. It's like saying to somebody who doesn't believe in God, doesn't mean God, just because you choose not to believe doesn't mean God no longer exists. And that's the reality. It does nothing to change this. And here's what's really interesting as you read this passage, that that same Jesus, the rejected stone of men that now becomes a stone of stumbling, that becomes a rock of offense, that cornerstone that upon which we can build, you know what that becomes to the disobedient? That cornerstone upon which we can build becomes the cornerstone that crushes the disobedient soul. Like a fire that we can use to heat food and to warm our bodies can also destroy forests and take away homes. Like water that can soften the ground and raise crops can also flood and wash away entire cities. Like the sun where you can get a beautiful tan can also give you cancer. Okay, that, this is what, it does nothing to change the greatness of who he is, the preciousness upon which he holds, but how you respond to him determines what comes upon you. Like I said, rejected of men, but chosen of God. Christ, the word of God, then becomes, as James puts it, to the proud law, but to the grace, but to the humble, sorry, grace. It's in James chapter 4. Verse 6. This is the nature of Christ's preciousness. That this is this is what how Jesus represents to us the beauty of God's love. What does Romans 5 8 say? That God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and also the harshness of God's judgment in John chapter 5, verse 27. We see the compassion of God's mercy in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, but we also see the wrath of God's holiness in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. And in each of these cases, he is and will always be chosen of God and precious. A preciousness that changes our very being, that in Christ, that in Christ, I want to, I, I want to, yeah, I want to clarify something here. See, regardless, I, I, I want you to grasp this. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of how I respond in various circumstances, regardless of whether I like something or if I don't like something, our our primary reality is that Christ is precious and that we are His. Okay, and it's why, it's why as we carry on reading in verse 9, we get given these four aspects to our identity. Four aspects to our identity. Our primary identity is that of being in Christ, and we believe and are thus precious. But we are told four things, that we are a chosen generation, we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, we are a people belonging to God. Now, I've shared on this verse in the past, but as I was looking at it this time around, something stuck out to me, which I thought was really exciting. Once again, our primary identity is us in Christ, and God in His grace, God in His mercy has given us this aspect 
to actually examine, that it's all-encompassing of our lives. Generational. How many, okay, how many, uh, please, I don't want to be disrespectful. How many Gen Z people are here? Gen Zs? You're, you're a Generation Z or you Alphas? You're, you're Zs? You're Zs? All right, so you're Generation Zs. How many Gen Ys, the millennials? Raise your hand. You're technically Gen Y? You're, check, you're, te- you're technically, okay, let's pray for the millennials. No, just kidding, okay. Okay, I'm, I'm a Generation X guy. Who's Generation X? Hey, Gen X. Then we have, then we have the boomers, no offense, but boomers, anybody the boomers? Some of the, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we have before them, the greatest generation, the, the ones that fought wars and all that sort of stuff for us, okay? If we have all those, they're the greatest generation. Now, we, we define generations and we make our assessments on generations based upon particular eras of time, okay? And we look at that and we think, okay, that's really, that's really quite fascinating. So, you, I mean, I look at my generation, the Generation X people, and I, I look and I see, I, I, we saw the fall of the Berlin Wall. We saw the breakdown of communism. We saw some, you know, the Vietnam War and all that sort of stuff, which I found really interesting. The introduction of the internet, which was pretty cool. Um, so I saw some pretty amazing things. And then, then we thought, you know, we, we took some of the values from the, from the boomer generation before us and thought, that's really great. And we, we, we cherished some of those things. And then we had, we had the millennials follow us. Now, I want the Generation X people to bear in mind something. Who raised the next generation? The ones that we always complain about. My generation. And so I think, okay, for all the complaints I have on millennials, I'm thinking, yeah, like my generation did some of that. You know, that we're suffering. So we, we've sort of taken, we always take things to the extremes. Now, and so enough about generations. What I like this is that when you read the scriptures, you find out that we are a generation, a chosen generation, which differentiates us from every other generation defined by time. We are a chosen generation defined by who we know and who we are known by. We have a generation of faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you read in the scriptures, I read about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You have your Samsons, you have your Elijahs, you have your Davids, you have your prophets, and you, you've got your Jeremiah's, you've got your Ezekiel's, you've got your Jonah's, you look in the Gospels, you've got your Matthews, you've got your Marks, you've got your Paul's. You look in the early church history, you've got your Augustine's, you've got your John Chrysostom's, you've got your Justin Martyrs. You look at Bishop Latimer, you got, you got, you got your Jan Husses, you got your Martin Luthers. You go through all throughout history. You come even today, you, you, I mean, you had your Grahams, your, your Billy Grahams, you got your Hal Lindsay's, you got your Steve Farrar's. You look around, you got your, your David Jeremiah's, you see your Francis Chan's. I look here, I see your Pastor John's, you got your, your Ben Neos, you got your Adrian Lim's, you got your Pam Wee's. But it doesn't matter who, see, it doesn't matter from, from the beginning of when God instituted his kingdom to, to today and to all eternity, we are part of the same generation, the chosen generation of God. That's to whom we belong. That's what defines us. Not the era that I was born, not the time, the fact that I was born during the, the 70s and lived to now. No, no, I am defined by being known by Jesus Christ as his child. That's what makes me part of a chosen generation. That word chosen can also be translated as favored. A favored generation. 
favored by God because of Jesus Christ. And that is a beautiful thing to behold. A brother in the Lord, Andrew Fergie, passed away. He's maybe a couple of years older than me, 52. He passed away. And I remember something when he was at Bible college. They said, oh, this is Andrew Ferguson. He's a Kiwi, to which his response was, I'm a Christian first. He's part of a chosen generation. You are part of a chosen generation in Jesus Christ. That is a generational change that God has given you. Not only even just generational. You carry on reading, you see vocational, a royal priesthood. We are part of a royal priesthood. What does the priest do? The priest represents God to the people and the people to God. You serve faithfully the, the, the God of creation as a priest. And it doesn't matter where you are today, your primary role, your primary vocation is as a priest for the Most High. So this means this. Kerry, as a teacher, yes, her vocation, her earthly vocation is teacher. But as a teacher, she's a priest that represents Jesus Christ to her students and to her fellow teachers. Auntie Judy is a grandmother, and she works at the Australian Post Office. And whilst that is her, vo her earthly vocation, her primary vocation is this, that as a person who works as a as a person that works at Australia Post, she represents Jesus Christ as a priest of the Most High God. That Chris, as an accountant and as a people manager at the moment, she gets to represent Jesus Christ as a priest. That even though her, her vocational, her earthly vocation is that of, of accountant and people manager, she represents the reality of God's love to the people that she encounters. That is your primary vocation. That is your primary calling to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all the things that Jesus had commanded them and that he will be with them always, even to the end of the age. That is our primary calling. And I shared this before, that even though the context changed, our call remains the same. We still get to do that. That is our vocation that God has given us in Christ. So we have our generational aspect of our lives taken care of, being a generation of faith chosen by God in Christ. We have our vocational calling aspect of our lives taken care of, that what we get to do is, as parents, as grandparents, as children, as siblings, as employees, as employers, we get to represent Jesus Christ as a royal priest. And then we also have the national aspect of our existence. We're called a holy nation. Yes, I come from New Zealand. My parents are from Samoa. Some are from Malaysia. Some are from China. Some are from I don't know where. But our primary identity is this, that in Christ, what are we now? Citizens of heaven, we're told in Ephesians. We are citizens of heaven governed by the laws and the values and the standards as presented to us within the scriptures. That is what we abide by. That is what we hold to. That is our national calling, called to stand up and represent the nation that we come from. I, I didn't watch the game yesterday between Australia and New Zealand, but I hear New Zealand like destroyed Australia 
like it was like 50-something to 20-something. And, you know, and, and, and even though, and you'll notice, you'll notice this. This is what I do and what we all do when we see a country play. We associate ourselves as we won. I didn't play. I didn't play. I watched, the, I watched highlights. I watched highlights. Oh, well. But I automatically, at the end of the game, I saw the final score. I thought, we won. No, I didn't. They won. They won, but I automatically identify myself with the team because we have this, this mutual nationality. I have a citizenship, a nationality that is established in Jesus Christ. I have a nationality that says I belong to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. I have a nationality now that determines that when I walk this life, I walk according to His will and His desires. So that when my sister is walking along and she overcomes and experiences the greatness of God's goodness in her life, I get to come alongside her as a brother and say, we did it. I get to pray. See, this is what's even better. I may not be playing in a rugby game, but I can play in your game. I can pray for you. I can support you. I can encourage you. I can bless you. I can uplift you. I can edify you. I can play a practical part in your life, even without you knowing it, as creepy as it sounds. That when Pastor John is going out sharing the gospel with his neighbors, and I could be praying for Pastor John, that whatever God does in his life can use him in the life of another. I get to play a part in the work that he does. I get to play a part in the work that you do. I get to play a part in your vocation and in the generation that you're a part of. And I don't get to do it myself. We get to do that together. That is what the preciousness of the person of Christ does in each of us. How exciting. How exciting. What was great, yesterday I got to conduct a wedding for, for Will and, and Esther. Congratulations, Will and Esther. And it was raining. And it was, it was a wonderful day. It was a blessed day. But I do know that I ask people to pray and to know to know that even though it rained, God still has a hand in that because I knew people were praying. And so they played a part in the game that I was in. And I got to be able to share the word of God with a lot of people that didn't know Jesus. And I got to, be, to share about what marriage really is and the picture that it was. And I got to bless people and you got to play a part in that with me. I didn't see you, but I knew you were standing there that I could pass the ball to knowing that we're moving in the same direction, looking for the same goal. That's part of our national trend. That is what we get to do as fellow countrymen, as fellow countrymen, as brothers and sisters from the same country in Christ. So that's our national aspect of our lives. And the last one, which I think is great, there is the personal aspect of our existence, that we are Look at those words. His own special people. We are His own. His own. If we could grasp the magnitude of what that means. I mean, we sit there all the time and, and we identify with things and, 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 and loudly proclaim various things that might happen. I know this person. I don't know if you know anyone that likes to name drop 
But, you know, you have those people that name drop all the time. I know this person. I know that person. And as great as that is to say that you know Jesus Christ, or even better, to say you belong to Jesus Christ, oh, that wins every time. That wins every time. And these are the aspects. Four uniquely distinct and four beautifully worded descriptions of just how all-encompassing the precious person of Christ in, I'm sorry, is, that in him, all the generational, all the vocational, all the national and personal, personal aspects of our lives are fulfilled, are made complete, and lack absolutely nothing in Christ. No wonder then, no wonder then when you read later on in the next few sentences, why these words make so much sense. He says that you, you are made all of these for the purpose of proclaiming the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And like verse 10, who once were not a people, we were outside of Christ. We were doomed to condemnation, deserving of hell. We were not part of his commonwealth, not a part of his kingdom. We were not, uh, we were not a people, but, but now are ah, the people of God. I remember sharing a while ago about being picked for teams. Remember in primary school, even in high school, you would stand there, you would choose your two captains, and you would pick your teams. I'll take Uncle Eugene. Pam will come up and kiss. I'll take Jono. All right, I'll take Uncle Mike. I'll take Alyssa. I still think my team will win. But, yeah, and, and, and it's amazing how, have you ever been last to be picked for anything? Have you ever been last and just you thinking, I hope I get picked? And when you're the very last person, it's just like, well, I've got no choice now. I'll take you. But when you're chosen before that, like if you're one of the first ones, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me. All right, all right. Not that I was ever picked first. But I, 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 really, I really like the aspect that we are chosen as God's people. We were not. No, there was a point we were not part of God's people, but in Christ, now we are. Now we are. Not only do we have the honor of associating with him, we're given the privilege that he associates with us. And then we read, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We are recipients of God's goodness and grace and mercy so that we can shout out to all around how Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And that we can shout to everybody that Christ saved me who is so unworthy to boldly proclaim that by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect, meaning this, that God's grace to me impacted my heart so much that change came about, and the desire to change came about, and the capacity to change came about, and that you wanted to change came about. That's the grace of God, that we can boldly proclaim that, that God's work of grace is that continual work in me, and that I am not left to my own devices. 
that we can worship him with complete abandon who redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I mean, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That we can sit down and worship him for that. He knew no sin, but he took my sin upon himself for that. And to worship him for such an amazing privilege, to confidently praise him who was able to keep me from falling and to present me faultless before the presence of his glory in Jude 24. To confidently do that. Have you ever been introduced by somebody, I remember doing a wedding. No, it wasn't, it was a funeral, actually. I remember going to a funeral, and, and it was conducted for my uncle, and there were many in the Polynesian community quite high up, and I was introduced to them by my cousin, and it was wonderful because of the various protocols within Polynesian community. When he introduced me, he actually said to me, you have to do this, this, and this. And I said, sweet bro, and and so I did this, this, and this, and to establish connection, but to have someone take me alongside and, and present me in such a way, and then when I was accepted, you see and you recognize such things, and think that was a, I was greatly honored to partake of such things. That is what God has given us in Christ, that he takes me and all my weaknesses and all my failings and presents me to his father as his son, as his child. And that we get to honor him who is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Me, who was once considered an enemy of God as I lived this life without him. Me, who in the past was not a part of the people of God, but now are the people of God. Me, as a sinner, saved by grace, brought into the presence of God and the precious person of Christ, who had not obtained mercy, but in Christ, that precious person obtained mercy, and everything God brings to me in him. I want you to, I want you to have a look at this. I want you to, I mean, look, I just... Just off the top of my head, as I was just typing this out, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that we are citizens of heaven, that we find grace in time of need, that we have peace that transcends understanding, that we have forgiveness of sin, that we are new creations in Christ, that we have access to the Almighty, that we are the body of Christ, the church, that we have the Word of God, that we are partakers of the divine nature, having all things that pertain unto life and godliness, and that is what came at the top of my head in two minutes. And there is so much more that we have been given in the precious person of Christ. Take a photo of that, and I want you to find the Bible references that back up every single one of those. Because as you read the passages of Scripture, it is God showing to you, this is who you are, this is what I have made you, this is what I'm doing in your heart. And I want you to grasp that. I want you to hold on to that. 
That's when the world pressures us with numerous takes of what a real man is, or what a real woman is, or what a person is supposed to be when we try to discover our sense of normalcy outside of the spiritual renewal that has been granted to us in the person of Jesus, then, then we'll find the answer in the person of Christ and his precious person because to those who believe, he is precious. To those who know, he is precious. That, that foundational reality of, of knowing Jesus, of being known by Jesus, of resting in his love would step in us or create in us a cherishing and a nurturing of the precious person of Christ. Generationally, vocationally, nationally, and most, most importantly, personally. That's why he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, because in me, you'll find rest. In me, you'll find hope. In me, you'll find security. I pray that you'll grasp the reality of that. And as you grasp it, have it transform you from the inside out as God works the miraculous in each of your lives. I would like to invite the music team to come back up again, please. And we're going to sing that, that new song again because I just it made sense as I was singing it or trying to sing it before. Um, and so prayerfully it will have more of an impact as we look at the Word together. Okay, and I'll close in prayer after that. We give you thanks. Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, that is in the precious person of Christ, a spot without lamb and blemish, who shed his blood, that we might know forgiveness, that we might know life, that we might know you. As we move on from today, we thank you that you have made us a chosen generation. You have made us a royal priesthood. You've made us a holy nation. You have made us your own special people so that we might show forth the praises of you who moved us out of darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. You who have taken us who were not your people and made us your people. Us who did not have mercy, but in your son have now received mercy. We praise you for such a wonderful gift. And I pray that we as your people will respond in humility, in submission, in obedience. So we commit ourselves to you now and thank you that you are our inheritance. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,